Welcome back to From My Home to Yours. My name is Matt. My name is Bernadine. And you are listening to a very special episode 14. But we've had a, a lot of special stuff from the last episode, haven't we? Absolutely. Um, we want to begin by, well, I particularly want to say a massive thank you to everybody who got in touch on the back of episode 13. Matt will attest to the fact that after the recording, I was pretty wobbly and um, mm. I had maybe a little bit of a vulnerability hangover. I hadn't intended or expected to cry on the episode. And I just wanted to make sure that people were aware that I was aware that my experience was by no means the worst that anybody could ever have as an expat being away from their family. I know people have gone through horrendous times with family members being very sick or a, a close family member dying suddenly. And, you know, people people go through really, really hard times when they're away from home. Mm. And I did not want to, you know, come across like a spoiled princess. And so I was a bit a bit afraid of of whether people would think that I was just a stupid idiot and had nothing to be upset about. But at the same time, we part of the reason why we're making this podcast is to keep it real. This is the real experience that we, just we, are having with making this move. We can't speak for everybody and everybody's experiences aren't the same. But I think more people connected with you mm. as opposed to reflecting on your experiences compared mm. to their own. So ultimately, I think it was a, a great thing. Yeah. But I have received genuinely innumerable messages over the course of the week from people I know and people I don't to just say, can I give you a hug? And mm -hmm. two people I want to um, mention particularly, uh, one is Chantal, who got in touch through our Instagram page and offered a hug. And I was very, very touched by that. And then our lovely friend Shane, who said that he wanted to give me a hug mm -hmm. after he'd listened to the episode. So Thanks so much, guys. I, I'd love to name everybody who got in touch because genuinely so many people. It was an outpouring of love and support um, and I really, really appreciate it. So thank you for recognising the ups and downs, the highs and lows, the peaks and troughs, um, but also for, for understanding that the highs and lows, the ups and downs and the peaks and troughs look different for everybody. But there is an element of connection when you've experienced something where you've been sad when you've been away and or when you've been sad when you've come back and realized what you've missed out on and uh, it just thank you that's that's really all I can say is thank you so much and thank you obviously to Matt as well for giving such good advice and support to me and um, one of my friends did get in touch and just say Matt is just so wise and I was like yeah this man is incredible so um thank you everyone thank you so much and thank you also we must say for over 2,000 downloads at this point. Yeah, we ticked over, ticked over 2,000 the other day, which is, is great. And that it just goes to show that not only do we have a numerous audience, but we've got a lovely audience as well. So thank you for tuning in every week or whenever you have a commute yeah. that you need to make more bearable. <laughs> uh, but more importantly, thank you for getting in touch and, yeah, and, and hopefully for telling people about the podcast too, mm -hmm. clearly. People are spreading the word about it, but mm. um, yeah, we just really appreciate you. And we hope that you're getting value from the episodes. That's the whole purpose why we made this podcast. We needed yeah. something like this or we wanted something like this moving. And so we thought, well, 
we have the means, Matt has the ability and the skills. Why don't we do it as a service for others? And that's why it's a service. We we don't we're not asking for anything in return. If something comes our way, that's always lovely. But mm. it's it's we want to do it for you so that you get the advice and support that you can, bearing in mind it's coming from two people, not two experts. So Of course. Um, but yeah. that's we haven't talked about that so much and maybe we'll do an episode in future talking about the behind the scenes about yeah the podcast but we had a we had a walking forest podcast meeting we did a few weeks <laughs> or a month ago now and um we did decide that our mission for this podcast is to to deliver value unconditionally to anyone who listens that's that's the the primary goal for us it's not about monetizing it's not about getting on the late late show <laughs> or anything like that i know that you know what's called the late late show well done <laughs> I, I'm, I'm integrating the success of the it's journey the showing progress <laughs> um but yeah and this is probably a, both a very opportune and a bad time to segue into the promotions that we haven't been the best at putting forward to you guys just because of the the nature of the the podcast and yeah. how we put it together. True. But we just wanted to give you a quick reminder yes. because August is prime time for this stuff. Some of the promotions that we've got going at the moment in, end in August. Mm. So um, make sure that you jump on top of them if you need them and tell other people mm. if they can take advantage of them mm -hmm. because they are primarily to help you with coming back to Ireland or, or helping out with your journey in Ireland. Or to create a connection to Australia through some Australian tea. That is provided by Tea Tonic. Tea Tonic, which we are currently drinking. Still. We're drinking, we're still drinking dark chocolate and black tea, Slauncha. And if you get on the Tea Tonic website right now, uh, which is Australian based, they do ship in internationally though. Yep. You can include the promo code FMHTY20 Correct. for 20% off your order. And the order will be in Australian dollars. But that 20% off will be off the entire order, including shipping. And we found shipping internationally, or at least to Ireland, yeah. meant that it was free shipping, basically. So it's a great deal to take up if you're keen to drink the same tea that we do. And thank you to Teetonic as well, because they gave us a shout out on their Instagram this week and their Instagram stories. And I, I have made our order for um, our new Teetonic batch that should be coming. So eagerly awaiting that to arrive. It should arrive within the next two weeks. So pretty excited to get that. Yeah. Thanks, Teetonic. We love you. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to bring them on for an interview somehow. Ooh! Oh, I'm excited. And the next cab off the rank is Healy's Insurance that we interviewed a few weeks ago. They were kind enough after that interview episode, which if you head on back through the catalogue a little bit, you'll learn about car insurance and the different things you need to know about Irish car insuring. Uh, they were kind enough to offer a promotion for any expats or repats returning to Ireland in August with their first car insurance policy. Mm -hmm. You get in touch with them and provide them the promo code FMHTY50, then that will take 50 euro off your policy when you complete it within the month of August. Um, and those two promotions finish at the end of August. So yes. you have until the 31st of August to take advantage of those. And then the last promo that we have is from Stephanie Wickham of expattaxes.ie. They do taxes for expats, uh, experts, and are uh, getting awards all over the place. Uh, they also came on the podcast for an interview a couple of episodes ago. Definitely check that out for a listen. Uh, they provided us a link for you to take advantage of where you will get 60 euro off your first consultation with Stephanie Wickham directly. 
and that's 195 euro with 60 off. And the link will be in the show notes if you want to take advantage of that. Definitely something we would recommend, especially me having uptaken her services a month and a half ago now to find out about self-employment with regards to taxation and the system here in Ireland, but everyone's circumstances are different. So make sure that you click on that link and find out everything you can both before or after arriving in Ireland. Yeah. And 195 euro is such a good deal when you like 60 euro off makes it 195 and and it is like it is pricey, but gosh, it's worth it if it ultimately saves you a couple of thousand euros or dollars, depending on what your situation is. And I think we sold it in the episode as you getting your own personal podcast time Totes. With Stephanie Wickham. Totes, so oats. If you want to create your own podcast <laughs> that you privately share with Stephanie, <laughs> then click on that link in the show notes and take advantage of that special deal. Please do. Now, the reason we mention all these promotional items is this week we have another very special interview with the Crosscare Irish Diaspora Support Project. Uh, a couple of people, Lucia and Sarah, from that small but powerful team. Powerful. Providing services to Irish citizens returning to Ireland, uh, expats and repats, people returning with non-Irish spouses or de facto partners, dependents. They are a non-profit that's funded as a project of Crosscare Ireland Mm -hmm. and funded by the Department of Foreign Affairs and Government of Ireland's Immigrant Support Program. And they've been doing this stuff for decades, but the Crosscare Irish Diaspora Support Project is a brand new sect of this, providing very specific support. So we were really glad to secure them for an interview to talk about what they really get up to. The interview is amazing and the services and skills and abilities that these people have are also very, very much worth investigating. It really should be a first port of call for anybody thinking about returning because the information that that they share is the pertinent information which relates to Ireland government, etc. So it will be exactly as it should be. And it's not like you're on a forum asking people who may not necessarily know the correct answer. This is the correct answer. Yes. And what I discovered in the interview is that not only do they provide the information that's set by policy, they also directly contribute to policies regarding people returning to or coming to Ireland. So a massive thing that they did recently is the de facto partner supports Mm. for people returning to Ireland and the the processes there because it hasn't been as as transparent Mm. and dedicated in terms of process in the last couple of years. It was really interesting to hear about from them all these things that they're doing and that yes, they should be Mm -hmm. the primary people that you get in touch with before you think about moving to Ireland. And that's even before getting in touch with potentially immigration experts because they're not invested financially mm-hmm. in whether you come to the country. They're just there to give you information. So it's a really great thing. But it should be noted too that uh, time of recording when the information is pertinent. So if you're a listener that's coming back after a couple of years, once we have been on the Late Late Show, <laughs> become incredibly famous and, uh, you know, uh, are on billboards. Living, Let's just put it out there. <laughs> living our four-hour work week digital nomad <laughs> lifestyle and podcasting about Ireland from Timbuktu or wherever we are, then um, just note that the time in August 2023, this is when this information was relevant. 
but of course this information is liable to change. So uh, if it is too far along, or if you are looking to investigate this stuff yourself, make sure that you check all the official government sources for the latest updates to the information provided. But for the most part, if the only thing you take away from this is to contact the project directly yeah. about anything that you're keen to know, phone, social media, email, that is probably the biggest thing that you need to know. And all of that information will be in the show notes. And their new website, which is brand spanking new and spandangly, is where you should go as well. That's it. That's a lot of to what for before <laughs> we get into the interview proper, but it was a great chat with Sarah and Lucia. Fabulous. And uh, I'm sure you'll learn a lot. So here it is. Enjoy. Welcome back to another great interview. This week, we're going to talk to a couple of people that work with the Crosscare Irish Diaspora Support Project that provides support to Irish people looking to emigrate to other countries or return to Ireland. They're looking to create a brand new website that's going to provide a lot of resources for expats and repats to Ireland. They're currently doing webinars and a bunch of great stuff. And all of this is in service of Irish people and the Irish diaspora. Now, the two people that I have on today, first is Lucia Gazakowski. She was previously in Massachusetts and has since moved to Dublin, but she's got a strong history with immigration based in the Irish-American partnership for three years and then moved to Dublin to work with Crosscare Ireland Diaspora. Lucia, how are you going? Thanks for having me. Delighted to be here. And our other guest is Sarah Owen, who has a long history with Crosscare and has worked there for over 10 years, has a strong customer support background, just seems to be a great people person and seems to do a fantastically large amount, uh, is currently the project leader with Crosscare Irish Diaspora Support Project. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. So we might start off with the thing that most Irish people prefer to talk about, and that's your backgrounds and where you come from. Can't be entirely certain, but I'd say both of you, uh, well, I know Lucia for sure, but um, Sarah, perhaps you can reveal a little bit more. Uh, just wondering what brought you both to Ireland initially, and what is your expat journey? What brings you to Crosscare and what informs your experience and how you deliver to the Irish citizen? I grew up in Kenya, in East Africa. Uh, my parents are both immigrants. My mum's French. My dad is English, but was born in Kenya. His parents were immigrants. My great-grandparents were immigrants. So I come from a long line of people who have moved uh, all over the world. My grandparents from both sides travelled from Europe to settle in East and North Africa, Polynesia. Uh, so I suppose that's really the main draw for me around this work is, you know, it's in my genes in some way, but I've lived emigration firsthand as well. I first came to Ireland at the age of 19, and I had moved previous to that at the age of 14 from Kenya to the UK. So no stranger to emigration. Uh, when I arrived in Ireland, navigating at the time, trying to navigate getting a PPS number, accommodation, all of that, without really knowing anyone here was was a challenge. So I think that's another thing that I appreciate about the work that we do is that we can sort of set people on the right track so they don't spend ages trying to figure out how to do it and get frustrated within that process. I think the other thing for me uh, is, is, I suppose, the, the fact that a lot of people coming home see it as just that. They see it as coming home. And whilst that's wonderful, 
sometimes people forget that they are moving to a, a different country and they are going to have to jump through the hoops to get set back up in the system. That can come as a bit of a shock to people, which you might be able to speak on better than I at the moment, Matt. If I wanted someone to create an executive summary of my experience that I've shared on the podcast so far, that would be it. Yeah. I think <laughs> someone coming to a country, struggling to get a PPS number, doing all these logistical things for which there seems to be no, uh, well, there, there is advice out there, but putting the whole picture together, trying to come to terms with being in a new country as well, all of that is is just so glad to have someone in the project like yourself that is experienced with all of that. And just quickly before we move on to Lucia's background, would you say that there was a very strong draw on your part, Sarah, that once you had this information, you wanted to make sure that, that other people could get it as well? 100%. I mean, even back then, I remember sort of becoming the unofficial uh, information giver to friends who were also new, new to Ireland. And I remember even going to the PPS office with one of them at the time. So yeah, absolutely. And that that's often, I think, how as an immigrant, you get set up in a country, you're talking to other people and you're finding out how to do it. So I suppose with our work within Cross Garage Diaspora Support Project, if we can help alleviate a little bit of that, um, then hopefully it, it helps people make a more successful return. That's perfect. Now, Lucia, if we could hear a bit about your background, that'd be great. So like you both, I am an immigrant. I have lived emigration, so I think that's what really drew me to this work, along with Crosshair's overall social justice ethos. I came to Ireland originally two years ago. I think we're almost two years to the day since I arrived in Dublin uh, to do my master's, and Crosscare just seems like a natural place to land along with this specific Irish Diaspora Support Project. Uh, I think it was an exciting time to join the project because, as you hinted at, we've just rebranded to reflect our specialized Irish citizen mission. So I think it's exciting to be a part of that and speak to a global Irish audience and hopefully amplify the experiences of people like yourselves who have either moved back to Ireland, people who have emigrated, and it's a great opportunity to tell stories. Yeah. And Lucia, just very quickly, your experience, if you can share it, of course, in the Irish-American partnership, would you say that a lot of your experience there in emigration qualified you to do the cross-care work that you're doing now? You know, it's funny. I, I think it's very interesting that I've always been working in kind of these global Irish, Irish American spaces. I think it absolutely translates over. I think the thing that speaks to me the most as someone who's American, I have Irish grandparents despite the Polish last name, that just the strong affinity that Irish people feel towards the homeland and kind of the desire to stay connected and keep that connection strong and build community within the diaspora and just kind of the wealth of good that can Come of that and the wealth of support resources. Uh, I think one of the lovely phrases that we would use a lot at the partnership and was kind of resounding throughout the pandemic across Irish spaces was uh, you know, just kind of there's no strength without togetherness or unity. And that's something that speaks really strongly to the Irish diaspora community. I'm so lucky to still be a part of it. Yeah, it's amazing. There's so many thoughts that well up in my brain after spending 10 years with Bernadine, my wife, and co-host, the idea that the way that Irish people stay connected across the world, even in a time where social media wasn't as pervasive as today, is so powerful that it isn't tied just to that culture. Because I know that my wife was making cultural parallels, obviously very strong, and they share it a lot. 
they they love to connect with more and more people. I'm saying they a lot, so one day I'll consider myself Irish. I'm hoping I'll get there <laughs> as by the finale. Me too, Matt. So that is all an excellent building block for us to get stuck into a conversation about uh, what Crosscare Irish Diaspora Support Project actually does. Could one of you take us through what you're currently doing at the moment, Sarah? Essentially, what's at the heart of our work is diaspora support, the, 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 the clues in the name, right? Which was the whole point behind changing our name and, and, and moving forward with this brand. But what we do is we offer support to Irish citizens at all stages of their migration. So uh, we provide information, advocacy support, then if someone's returning and is denied access to appropriate supports in Ireland, and then, of course, referral supports. We also more broadly work with Irish groups around the world. So we're one of, I want to say, 170 plus Irish groups who receive funding from the Irish government's immigrant support program to provide welfare-related supports to the Irish diaspora. It's quite a unique program. It was born of, uh, I don't know if either of you will recall, but the Forgotten Irish, the stories of the Forgotten Irish, these older men in London who'd gone over to work in construction, and that really came to light in the early 2000s, and that's where this funding has come from. So we're, we, we have partners all around the world we work with on joint initiatives, be it case consultations for people coming home in crisis who might be being deported or uh, people who are you know, being released from prison and going to need a little bit of additional support when they come home, all the way through then to people who are returning with non-Irish partners and need help with navigating the immigration system. So we work with all these groups in order, I suppose, to enhance our capacity to reach those most in need. The other thing that we do is the policy and the research side of things. So we try and grow awareness of Ireland's diverse diaspora because often the term diaspora is used almost as a homogenous term. We have to recognize that our diaspora is really diverse and increasingly so. It reflects the demographic of, of the Irish population, which is increasingly diverse as well. And people have different identities and so on. So we try to speak to that a little bit. Last year, we did some research into the emigration experiences of Irish citizens of minority ethnic backgrounds and looking at, you know, how did they still identify with their Irishness when they're abroad? Um, and then on terms of social policy, we try and progress solutions to common challenges to that are facing returning Irish immigrants. We've done a lot of work around barriers in terms of access for social welfare support. So the habitual residence condition comes up as time and time again for people um, where they have to essentially proves that they're home for good and that this is their center of interest, um, but they often don't know how to do that. And so they might be refused in the set first instance. So we try and effect change at policy level. We've had some successes there. Irish citizens are actually recognized now as a unique group um, when they're, they're being assessed for social welfare payments. So that's great. Um, some of the other things that we, we have successfully pushed forward is pre-clearance for de facto partners of Irish citizens. So that was something that didn't exist in the past that we worked a lot on and thankfully was brought in a few years ago. So the work that we do is multifaceted, but at its core and at its heart is that direct welfare support for people and particularly those who are vulnerable or are marginalised within the global Irish community. That is a lot of stuff. A lot. I think on the face of it, if you looked up, which you can do in the show notes, uh, look up the project itself, it seems to just be a facade to deliver information, but it sounds like you actively contribute to policy creation and lawmaking and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's really, they go hand in hand, if you like. Our direct service directly informs the work that we do at policy level 
uh, informs our research initiatives and the direction we take with those and indeed our partnerships as well. So it's at the heart of everything, but there's so much more to it than just that. Of course, anything government and policy related is always an intricate web of approvals and decisions that need to be made. But it sounds like the project really sits right in the middle of both being able to tell people what you've also contributed to, which is perfect. You don't want the people communicating what they need to know 10 steps away from where the decisions and the information was contributed. So that is incredibly powerful. As someone with a government background, I recognize that. All of that bundled together, it would be very difficult for us to get into an entire podcast episode, I think. And I'm sure the information is out there for policy going if people wanted to find it. But Lucia, something that I discovered upon perusing what is currently the placeholder website before your big launch is a YouTube channel that included a lot of the webinars that you've provided for people already, one of them being that uh, de facto spouse pre-clearance that you mentioned, Sarah. Could you give us an idea of how frequently those videos run and what the intention is for them and anything else that you expect to be able to deliver to Irish diaspora going forward? Absolutely. So we're planning kind of a exciting calendar of events, if you will, to give people the opportunity to ask questions live. So we run a whole calendar of events, both for people leaving Ireland and those considering return. And we usually do so in partnership with our fellow emigrant support program funded partners around the world. So in Australia, Canada, uh, just so we can make the most of that. And our YouTube channel has been a great repository of that information so people can access it later. And we encourage live attendance just so people can ask questions in person. But we're hoping to do some events based on return and you can learn all about them on our social media and signing up for our newsletter to get the latest information. But highly encourage people to go there as a resource that's available to them. And if they have questions, our door is always open. Please get in touch. Do you do consultations individually or with couples on top of this kind of um, broadcasting of information? Absolutely. So we have an inbox that people are welcome to get in touch, a contact form on our website as well at diasporasupport.ie. So any question you may have, in addition to kind of a whole host of information that's there on healthcare, housing, how to navigate the immigration system with non-Irish family, etc., we really do encourage people to get in touch because everyone's situation is different and we are able to offer tailored guidance based off of your specific situation. How frequently would you connect with the partners you have in other countries to provide the information? Like, um, Obviously, you have a base offering for broadcast and consultations and emails and all that stuff. Do you ever refer any of the, the questions you get onto the partners as opposed to dealing it with, you, with it yourself? I'd say quite frequently. Uh, Sarah, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'd say we're in touch with a partner at least once a day. Yeah, absolutely. Just to make sure people are getting the right information and signposting out and you know, a rising tide lifts all boats just to make sure we're able to provide the best information and the best resources so the Irish citizen or whoever's getting in touch can be empowered to make the best decision for them. Yeah, ultimately, like Lucia says, what we try and do is promote informed decision making. We don't have a stand as to whether people make the decision to return or end up staying abroad or indeed whether they leave or they stay in Ireland. Like our approach is non-judgmental. It's providing the person with the information so that they can be equipped to make the right decision for them. And so our work with partners is crucial in that regard because they might be 
dealing with people who are harder to reach for us, for instance. I mean, we're one small project in one country. Irish people are all over the world. Um, but we also work very closely with a network of Irish embassies and consulates around the world. And indeed, we work in partnership with the Consular Assistance Unit in, in Dublin and make and receive referrals, particularly around crisis, but also in terms of information and that direct information service that we provide over the phone, in person, by email, supports all of that work, if you like. Interesting. Now, there's a question that's just popped up in my mind. And if it's too naughty to ask, please push me away. It sounds like as a project, and the way you're connected across the planet, it would be very easy for people to get free, available, concise information about emigrating to or from Ireland. Although there is a lot of businesses out there offering paid services to handle people's immigration. How would you say you compare to these immigration services? And dare I say, are people being swindled if they don't come to you first? <laughs> I like the question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit cheeky, so don't feel like you have to answer. No, no, it's, it's grand. I like it. I, I mean, look, I think the thing is, right, there's sometimes there's a, people like to think you get what you pay for. And sometimes that's the case. But sometimes it's really being able to go to the people who are going to steer you in the right direction, who don't have a vested interest in necessarily the outcome other than that it's the right one for you. So I'll just say that. I think that is one thing to say about immigration in particular in Ireland is anyone can provide in immigration information or advice. Anyone can provide immigration legal services if they work in a law background, but they don't necessarily have the expertise in those areas. So that's what we bring to the table, and it's free. You might pay 300 euro to speak to a solicitor about your immigration position. We'll have a chat with you for 40 minutes for free. So just in terms of comparison, that's something to say. Now, where we struggle is obviously we're, we're a nonprofit organization, just to, to reiterate that, and we rely heavily on our main funders, the, the, the government of Ireland, and also our parent body, Crosscare, to be able to deliver the crucial services that we do. And we do have to prioritize, you know, if we have a case with someone who's arriving back in Ireland who's destitute, and then we have queries coming in about someone who's planning their return but isn't quite at it, we obviously have to prioritize who we're, here, we're focusing on in that moment in time. We're a small project, but we have a pretty big footprint considering that, I think. Yeah, it's just, it, it, it's a question that popped into my mind, if only because people might be thinking, well, why would I pay for this if I can just get it from you? But it is understandable that you don't have ever-expanding resources as a project that's funded entirely by the government at the moment. Yeah, it's just it's an interesting one that popped into my head. I thought I'd ask it just because it was convenient. So in terms of immigration itself as a subject, which isn't one that we've had the opportunity to talk to an expert on uh, on the podcast just yet, how much groundwork do you think people should be doing and how early should they be doing it before they choose to come from or leave Ireland? And at which point in that process should they contact you? So if we focus on the return side of things, and when we say immigration, just to clarify, for us, what immigration means on the return is you're an Irish citizen who's returning to Ireland and you have a family member who is from a country that is outside the EU, the EAA, the UK, or Switzerland. And therefore, they're going to have to navigate the immigration system in Ireland. They're going to have to uh, apply for and be granted permission to live and work here on the basis of your relationship. So just to say that's what we're talking about here. In terms of preparation, it, there are a number of things that influence this. Preparation is key always. And the sooner someone can do a little bit of research to get a gauge of what the situation is going to be for them, the better. And that should be really happening 
before they've made the decision to return to Ireland. I realize that's not always practical, but look, we're in the business of information, so we're going to have to plug that. Um, But for instance, if you're coming back with a spouse who is from um, Colombia, right? They're going to have to apply for a visa before they even uh, are able to travel to Ireland. And they're going to have to be granted that visa. That could take upwards of eight months. So it's not a fast process, right? Uh, on the other hand, someone like yourself, for instance, who's possibly, I don't know if you're married. I'm being maybe a little presumptuous here. I am. Yes. Okay, good. You're Australian and you're married to an Irish citizen. You can arrive in Ireland and start the process from here. So it is different. There are also financial thresholds and they're potentially much lower than other countries. I think uh, financially it's 40,000 euro that the sponsor should have, but it can be spread over both incomes uh, over a three-year period. So depending on where you're coming from, that might seem like quite a low amount, but say if you're coming from, I don't know, off the top of my head, uh, somewhere in North Africa, that might actually be quite a lot of money. The other thing is with de facto partners, you're going through a pre-clearance process, which in some ways gives you the benefit of having some idea of how it's going to go when you get to Ireland. You're not just arriving and hoping for the best, which was one of the big campaigning points for us was, you know, you you want, if you were saying to Irish people, come home to Ireland, we want you back, make it easy for them to do that, you know, give them some guarantee of what it's going to look like. So let's say you're returning with your de facto partner, de facto partner, meaning you're not married, but you're in a, a relationship akin to marriage and you have been residing together for two years, cohabiting, you you can apply through the preclearance process. There's plenty of information on our website, diasporasupport.ie, as to how you go about doing that. And then once you're approved either for the visa or for the preclearance, or indeed your non-visa required and you're arriving in Ireland, you're going to have to present to the immigration officer at Dublin Airport and explain what it is you're planning to do. And you've just been through this, so I can see you smiling there. But like, Ultimately, what you're saying is, I am planning on applying for residence in Ireland on the basis of my Irish partner or my Irish spouse. And hopefully at that point, the immigration officer is satisfied. They give you a stamp in your passport that's usually up to a maximum of three months. Within that three-month time frame, you have to then register for permission to actually be allowed to live and work here. So it's not a quick process. There's prep work needed before you come back. And potentially you might have to wait for a visa to be granted. And then there's prep work on this side. It isn't immediate. Depending on where in the country you're going to be living, there might be waiting lists to get an appointment with an immigration officer. Usually you need all of that before you can start the process of getting plugged into the system around PPS numbers and so on. So preparation, again, as I said, is key with all this. Again, the second paragraph of that executive summary of the podcast (laughs) for me is... That or what you just explained there. But yes, I think a lot of people are discovering that upon inspection that there are the, all these extra components for before or for after. The interesting part for us, yes, we, we are married, so I was entitled to a stamp for upon arriving. And we did that preparation about six to eight months before we came, realizing that it came down after a 21 to 24 hour flight period that moment where we needed the documents and the right thing to say and to be in the right line in the passport control together to make sure all of that came together. To, for us, I think that it was actually a lot of pressure. Yeah. But at the same time, when you, you hear about stories where people are from not pre-approved countries and have to go through all that extra effort, 
being married and coming to this country definitely feels like visa immigration on easy mode for sure. <laughs> and, and I think we, we recognize that quite a lot throughout the podcast that some things have come much more easily to us for all these reasons. Something that I would very much like to ask about, something that popped up in one of the expat Facebook groups that we're a part of is the proof of funds. Now, that didn't arise for us at any point throughout the process for some reason. I don't know if that's because my wife is a citizen with no bearing of requirement of proof of funds for her returning to the country and thus me not needing to provide anything with regards to funds. Maybe it was our skills registered at the time for our passports or whatever information they had. It's been a long time that we've submitted all that stuff, so it's hard to say. But it was a bit of a sticking point with some of those groups where there was that 40,000, I think they said it was 40,000 at the time, a bare minimum that they had to prove. So could you unpack that just a little bit more to either tell people in a bit more detail what kind of proof of funds they need or how much they should be anticipating to have besides just the number? So there's a couple of things to unpack there. The first is just in terms of the Irish immigration system. It is relatively open in comparison, say, if you're comparing it to the system in Australia, which, you know, if you're applying for a different visa, you're going on a bridging visa, whereas in Ireland, you might actually just be waiting for the new visa to be processed with not really a whole lot going on. So it's very different. And that can be a bit of a culture shock for people because their expectation is totally different to actually the practice here. So that's one thing. In terms of the 40,000, so I'm just checking here actually. So proof of finances is 40,000 gross income pre-tax over the past three years. So that works out at approximately what, 13,300 per year. That means that that has to be an earning that the, the couple have had. Now, the way it's presented, it does definitely look like it's the sponsor, so the Irish citizen that should be earning that. But if in some cases, let's say the Irish citizen uh, was a, a a stay-at-home parent, for instance, and they're not the ones who have those funds, it can come from the from the other spouse or the other partner. It is, as I said before, a lot lower than other countries, even our nearest neighbours, the UK, the, the, the financial thresholds are much higher. That then is separate to how much money someone should have when they're coming back to Ireland. It's, it's not cheap to move country, right? So, what they're looking at is that you have been supporting yourselves um, and th the way to do that is to look at the proof of the income. But ultimately, when you're back in Ireland, um, what's the plan? What's the plan? There are costs involved in terms of the move, of course, but then there's costs involved in terms of setting up a home, factoring in how long it might take before finding work, for instance. And that might be dictated by waiting for immigration permission to be processed. You might be a single earning household. We saw there a few years before the pandemic, there was a real move back from Australia that was happening. And that was predominantly from people who went over in their 20s and, you know, free and single, came back with children then in their 30s. And the pull was family. They wanted to come home to be close to family. But they, yeah, they had to, they had to negotiate the, 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 the change of moving from one country to another in a completely different life stage. Um, and it, I think for many, it came as a shock as to cost of living potentially, but also the unintended being in a new place. It might be a familiar place, but it is still a new place and you're still going to have to adjust it. So we try and tell people, look, you know, manage your expectations, try and give yourself time. This isn't all going to be instantaneous. 
Uh, and it's different to coming home for Christmas on holiday when you're visiting family and it's all wonderful and everyone's dropping everything for you. It's not the same. So you add that to potentially what can be stressful when you're navigating um, immigration systems and all the rest of it. it you know, it, it, yeah, it, it can be a little bit tough sometimes. Mm. In a particular case with one of our friends who moved back a year before us, two Irish people that met in Australia got married, had kids, and came back. There are even things on top of that that you need to worry about, like if you have to get registered for whatever skill you're providing or whatever job you're doing. I mean, we've talked about it on the podcast before that the Irish system, I don't want to call it slow. There's a different pace though to the way things get done. And, and I like what you said about the comparison between Australia and Ireland, where Australia is tightened up and sharp and pointy quite transparently, but at the same time, there's a lot to it that is more rigorous than would be required in other countries. So yeah, but not falling into that trap of thinking it's just returning home is a massive, massive thing. Lucia, maybe you can provide us a bit of, bit of clarity on the other end of things. If someone is perhaps returning to Ireland on their own, or someone who's considering coming to Ireland and would require everything, they're coming from a country, uh, pre-clearance or not, we'll presume that they do have it at least, that's all these things to navigate and the burden of proof potentially required for them is a bit different to coming back with someone, either a dependent or a spouse or something like that. And maybe you reflect on your own experience through answering this. I'm not sure. I don't want to delve too deep, of course, into personal stuff, but whatever you can share would be great. No, happy to answer that. I think so Irish citizens don't have to go through an immigration process, but there are certain things that they need to get in order. And like Sarah said, even regardless of your circumstances, the sooner you can prepare, the better. Uh, our, we have a saying that's just kind of like, know before you go. So to the extent that you can prepare, you can research, please do. We know it's not always possible, but I think that applies across the board. I think my own experience, it's overwhelming to stand in front of, as you said, after a 24-hour flight uh, at passport control, it can be definitely intimidating, overwhelming. Even the process of registering with immigration can be you know, difficult to navigate. And especially if you're doing it on your own, I think it's very intimidating. And like you said, I would consider myself in a very lucky position that I came over as a student. I had supports around me. And yeah, it was a fairly straightforward process other than it just being intimidating because someone's kind of holding your, you know, your future in the balance of it and they can make that decision one way or the other. But I think the way to counteract that and the way that I handled it was to be as prepared as possible have all the documents in order. And I would advise that to anyone, regardless of if they need to go through the immigration process or not. So if you're Irish citizen returning, it's a good idea to gather some documents either related to your qualifications or different certificates or making sure your passport's in order before you go, before you land on Irish soil again, uh, just so you're as prepared as possible. Preparation seems to be the message here. Maybe that I'll put that in the title of the episode, I think. <laughs> we thought we were being subtle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, just to speak on that point. So obviously, look, this is, this is partly also why organizations like ours exist, right? If someone is returning and they're going to need to access support on return and they're coming home, they're not able to do the preparation. We see this all the time with victims of domestic violence coming back to Ireland, you know, having to leave really difficult situations, people coming back from conflict zones. We've just recently had people returning from Sudan, for instance. There, There is no option to prepare, right? So 
what we say in those situations is contact contact the Irish embassy. They will be able to signpost you to the urgent supports abroad, first of all, but then also contact us if you're in that sort of situation. Um, we have expertise in terms of access to emergency supports for people returning in crisis. We do a lot of advocacy around access to homeless services, which you'd like to think would be easy to access, but obviously we're in the midst of a housing crisis at the moment, so all services stretch. So sometimes having a little bit of advocacy support like a, from a group like ourselves, we know what you need to provide, we know the argument to make, so that can help. Um, and the same thing with all sorts of other things like you know medical cards, GP visit cards, if you're coming home with children uh, and you know you're, you might be a single parent and those costs are just exorbitant, you are entitled to those supports, so apply for them. The same thing with social welfare payments. Just because you've lived abroad for 20 odd years doesn't automatically exclude you from accessing those supports. But you do have to go through a process where you're applying for them. And it isn't, unfortunately, instantaneous. So if we can help, please reach out. Yeah. Hearing you both talk about so much that we could very easily pick apart plenty of it over three hours. I would urge anyone listening to this to put this in the favorite pile for a couple of weeks as well and have a re-listen, perhaps in, in, at a later time, especially if you're in that stage where you're thinking about coming back. I think we've picked apart quite a bit of the whole process, and I want to leave enough for people to contact either of you or the whole project team about whatever they need to know. So uh, what would be the best ways for people to get in touch with you, besides the direct email address, of course? I would say the best way would be to go to our website. First and foremost, there's loads of information there, everything you need to know about returning to Ireland or leaving. And we also have a handy contact form that will guide you through kind of the intake questions that we would have so you can give us all of the information we need so we can best support you. Uh, I would also advise we're on loads of social media platforms. So you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, YouTube, so we encourage people to follow us there for the latest updates. You can also sign up for our newsletter at our website, diasporasupport.ie. And we have, you can call us by phone. Basically, any way you want to find us, you can find us. And the brand new website, when's that going to be launching? It's live. We're it's live. Yeah, tentatively <laughs> saying oh, it's live. Uh, no, we're hoping to, to do like a proper bells and whistles launch. Uh, later this year, but it is live. So people can go there if they're looking for information, particularly around, say, immigration questions for, for, for non-Irish partners and spouses, go there. It's all live. It's all there. Give us your feedback as well, because we've done a lot of work trying to make the information digestible, but it is still quite a lot of content. Um, and as Lucia said, look, you know, pick up the phone, even drop us an email, whatever way is easiest for people to get in touch. And look, if we're not the right service as well, we will signpost you elsewhere. So for instance, we're not tax experts. And I know you just had uh, a really good guest speaker on that particular yes, issue. You know, the, the, the fact is, you know, we, we don't strive to be a one-stop shop, but we will signpost you to where you need to go to get the information. Um, so hopefully that helps people. And we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Yeah. Love to hear stories. Love to hear whatever you have about your experience too because that's another way that we're trying to grow because the best way to learn and why i really enjoy this podcast is you know just the candor that both you and bernadine speak about your experience kind of in the messy middle if you will which has you know beautiful and difficult parts at the same time so delighted to be here today and encourage people to get in touch with their stories thank you yeah we'll definitely send them your way and we're really glad that 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 shows through as well is it's very hard to go to the revenue website and get a feeling 
of the person who wrote the policies there. Uh, if we can add some emotion to it, I guess it, it makes it a bit more relatable. Now, usually I get to the end of these interviews and, and I ask, what is the one thing that you would recommend to any person? But I'd say you've said lots of those one things over the last 40 minutes to an hour. So uh, what I'm going to do instead is ask each of you to share one tip or piece of advice for anything regarding coming to Ireland. That could be uh, the bag of crisps they should try first, <laughs> uh, a place they should visit, should they smell the grass before they you know, depart the airport? What are they doing? What are they doing when they get here? So I would definitely say lions over berries, first of all. I know that's very controversial, but I'm a lions girl. Um, well, we actually we did a poll on the Instagram, and lions came out on top. So maybe it's not as controversial. You see, as you, think. you see. But no, what I what I would say is, look, you're coming home. Embrace it, okay? Yes, we've talked about the the practicalities and the frustrations and all those things. But ultimately, you're moving back. Um, reconnect with with home. Reconnect with people. You know, go to places you've not been before in Ireland. That's a really good way to establish your new life. Don't just pick up the old one. Establish your new life if you can. That's great. Lucia? Yeah, if anyone has chicken fillet roll recommendations, I'm <laughs> taking those as well uh, <laughs> as I'm acclimating. No, I think in addition to the preparation that has been kind of the resounding theme of this episode, although it's not always possible, is just give yourself some grace, be kind to yourself. It's not an easy process. And you know, try and reconnect with your new home or connect with your new home, whatever situation you may be in by trying new things and doing those things. But above all, just it's a difficult process. And I think it's important to take it step by step, be honest about your experience and seek support if you need it and know that it's there if you do need it. So that support could, of course, take place in the community that you connect with upon arriving. It could also be an Australian looking for that shop that sells Tim Tams and Solo. <laughs> Let me know. I love Tim Tams. <laughs> yeah, they're they so good. They are brilliant. Um, I think in Australia now, there's probably about 37 different varieties, which I don't know how they do it. They also have the lowest health rating of almost any biscuit <laughs> in the country, and yet they are still incredibly popular. Um, sorry to my Australians listening who are currently switching off because they're heading off to get a Tim Tam, but- on that note, thank you so much for sharing both of your experiences and knowledge. We may even bring you back for a Q&A episode if it becomes something feasible. Keep delivering, keep sharing. We love seeing all of this information out there, especially with the mission that the project has and that you've been supporting for as long as you have. So thank you so much. Thanks, man. Thank you. I'm sure you will all agree that was an incredible interview and that Lucia and Sarah and the entire team are incredibly well-informed, but also extremely helpful and just lovely people who want to give assistance to anybody who is thinking about returning, let alone actually going through with the process. Yeah, that's it. And the thing that I didn't mention at the top of the show is that they are both expats themselves. Yeah. And so they're they are necessarily invested in the kind of work that they're doing. But yeah, they, they, they were great people to chat to. It was, it was a really great conversation, actually. It's just enjoyable as a chat without it being a podcast episode. That's it. And, and off recording, we talked about a few opportunities where we can collaborate in future. So if you don't get in contact with them, 
at the very least, make sure you subscribe to this podcast and the Instagram at FMHTY podcast. And we'll keep you updated with whatever we do with them in future. I really appreciated what Lucia had to say about the podcast because I know she is a dedicated listener. That mm. she said that our podcast uh, describes the messy middle. Yes. In making this kind of move, and I thought that that's spot on. That's that's really what what it comes down to. It's you have to be honest about the messy middle and the highs and lows because that's the reality of life, not just of making a big move. And I also love the fact that she quoted Neil Meart near Kerr near Kayla. I think I've probably butchered that a little bit, but mm. you, things are work better when people do them together. And that's really what this podcast is about as well. But that's also what their group does too. It's to help people together get through what needs to be done to get to Ireland if that's what people want to do. So again, if you want to get in touch with them, look in the show notes and there'll be links to all of their materials there. And of course, they've got the website, which is diasporasupport.ie. Very easy to get to, and there'll be plenty more stuff. And, and in particular, the YouTube that I mm. mentioned during the interview, got some great stuff in there. Really, really good stuff to look at if you're looking to learn more before coming to Ireland. Yeah, great resources, very helpful and, and user-friendly because you can go into them in your own time whenever it suits. Doesn't, doesn't matter about time differences or time zones. And that'll probably bring us to the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for, for listening to the interview. We've got plenty more to upcome shortly. I guess we'll do our own episode next week and have a chat about how things are going, where we are. And I'm about to start work. Yeah. So by the next episode, I'll be able to talk about what it's like to be back in an Irish school, having not taught in an Irish school for 13 years, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which is a bit crazy. But yeah, I- I'm actually really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to, to seeing what that experience will be like. Well, look forward to the Education in Ireland special episode. <laughs> and on that, thank you so much for listening, guys. Sláinte. Yep. Sláinte. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Rate and review. And keep liking. Like. <laughs> keep lighting the fucking candles. And have a good week. And thank you for the hugs. Give yourself a hug and give somebody else a hug, please. Hug a fucking candle. <laughs> <laughs> Try and make that one battery powered. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.